What fuels our next step when the journey is daunting, facing seemingly insurmountable odds? When failure has been our companion, why do some choose grit when others quit? The capacity for grit is what the writers of Scripture called endurance or perseverance. Perseverance is the shape of a heart that's increasingly able to honour its commitments, live out its calling, and rise above the hard to reach the hope. Some call it grit, some resilience. Whatever you call it, it's simply the shape of a heart that refuses to quit hoping that God's best is yet to come. It's the grit in your soul that finds traction for blessing in the most difficult circumstances. And there is a pathway to these gritty blessings that will lead to a resilient life. Jesus once shared them in a mountaintop moment. Eight Steps to Building a Resilient Life Hello, Calvary Church. It's great to be spending some time with you today. Uh, We're currently in a series called Gritty Blessings. This is the uh, third message in the series. If you missed any of the other two, I would definitely encourage you to go back, give those a listen. In this series, we're looking at part of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, with a focus on what's commonly known as the Beatitudes. We believe that these uh, Beatitudes gives us a kind of roadmap to a truly blessed life. The steps that Jesus gives us to follow uh, toward the blessed life are way different from the steps that the world would tell us to take. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the hungry. These will never be the steps that the world puts forward to achieve a blessed life. But these are the steps that Jesus tells us that we need to follow. I want to take a minute and read uh, from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. These are kind of the verses, the Beatitudes that we've covered and and leading into the one that we'll be talking about today. So again, this is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That's where we're going to be landing on uh, today, is that idea of blessed are the meek. Now, this word carries all kinds of ideas in our minds. Gentle, quiet, weak, passive. That's just to kind of name a few. Now, the definition from Merriam-Webster is enduring injury with patience, and without resentment, or deficient in spirit or courage, or not violent or strong. Now, I have to say that I didn't have a great understanding of the word meek when I first began uh, to work through what God wanted me uh, to say in this message. It's not a word that gets used very often, even in kind of common culture or language. The picture that came into my mind was something along the lines of a person who's being easily pushed around into allowing the stronger person to have their way. You know what I mean. The kid who gives his dessert away to the bully at school because he doesn't have the courage to actually stand up for himself. Another picture of meekness that came really quickly to my mind is uh, the picture of a husband quietly mumbling to himself, while his wife uses tweezers to pluck out what she has deemed to be his crazy eyebrows. And instead of saying, get those tweezers out of my face, Thea, he meekly submits to the will of his spouse. All of that to say, 
that I've always thought of my address in life to be pretty solidly on the meek side of the tracks, but I honestly never really thought of it as a positive thing. Meek is not a positive thing in most of our minds. My guess is that's true of many of us, most of us. We have a similar definition of meek that comes to mind. It's not a word that often gets tossed around in an encouraging way. You're so meek is not something that would instantly promote a hearty thank you from the person who received the quote-unquote compliment. As we define meek, it isn't something that we are typically even looking for in sports heroes, business leaders, politicians, movie stars. I mean, honestly, when was the last time that you listed your favorite attribute of anyone as being their meekness? Or how often have you voted for someone because they were so meek? Yet here is Jesus telling us that meekness is a step on the path to blessing. Part of what we need to understand is that our modern definition of meek is only really partially in line with how Jesus is using it here. Also, it's, it's not a personality trait that you're either born with or not. Nobody is born meek, at least not in the way that Jesus is using it. Biblical meekness is an aspect of the character of Christ. It needs to be worked into us as we are conformed to the image of Christ. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. So the, for the rest of our time together, I'd like to look at what meekness is, how we grow in it, how do we develop it in our life if we feel like it's either not there or lacking, and the strength that is found in meekness, in a lifestyle that's lived in meekness. Now that we've taken a bit of time to talk over how we view meekness in our time and culture, let's take a bit of a closer look at what meekness is as understood in Scripture. And partially, we're going to do that by clarifying what it isn't. Meek isn't weak. One of the definitions that I came across as I was reading about this idea of blessed are the meek is that meekness is not a lack of strength, but rather it is power under control. I believe that we could narrow that down even more by saying that meekness is power under the control of God. Like most things in the Christian life, Jesus is our example. We do have verses about Jesus, like the ones found in Isaiah 42.3, where we are told that Jesus, through a prophetic word talking about God's servant, we're told that Jesus won't break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering wick. This is a picture of one who is gentle with those who are broken and hurting. A beautiful example of the meekness of Christ. However, we also read in Matthew chapter 23 where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, scribes, and teachers of the law. And in the span of like a handful of verses or two, he calls them snakes, which is a hard throwback to the Garden of Eden that these guys would have been quite familiar with blind guides, hypocrites, and the brood of vipers. Basically, he's saying you're children of the devil. So had Jesus simply forgotten his meekness at home that day? No, these are both pictures of the strength and authority that were consistently present in the life of Jesus, but were submitted to the Father. So a meek life is not a powerless life. It's a power submitted to the Father life. Jesus' strength was used in service to God and others. 
I believe that even in the sharp rebuke that he gives to these religious rulers, blind guides, hypocrites, in Matthew, it was actually in service of those he was rebuking. His heart was for them. His heart was for the scribes and teachers of the law and Pharisees. He wanted to see them repent and be reconciled to the Father. Jesus wasn't crucified because he was a pushover and lacked the backbone to stand up for himself. As he told Peter after Peter drew his sword in the garden to try to defend Jesus when they were arresting him, he said, I could call on the Father and have 12 legions of angels dispatched on my behalf. Quick context. There's a story in 2 Kings chapter 19 where a single angel is sent to fight on Israel's behalf and it puts 185,000 soldiers to death over one night. And Jesus is saying, I could have called 12 legions of angels to fight for me. So it wasn't powerlessness that led to the cross. Setting aside his rights and dying on a cross while praying for those who were killing him. This is unimaginable power. The power of the Son of God brought under the control of the Father for the good of all of us. This is the meek life. So what leads us towards a meek life? You and me, we know this, you know this, but we're not Jesus. So how do we move towards this blessing of blessed are the meek? As Dan has mentioned, these beatitudes form a path for us to follow. And I think looking back at the last two beatitudes, we see this path of how to move towards a meek life. And it's recognizing my brokenness and mourning my sin. The first beatitude was blessed are the poor in spirit, and the second was blessed are those who mourn. A part of that mourning, again, which Pastor Dan talked about just last week, was mourning over our sin, recognizing our spiritual bankruptcy and mourning the depth of our own sin will move our hearts to a place of biblical meekness. We'll come face to face with our need for a power that's beyond our own. As we look at our own sin and our own struggles, we'll very quickly recognize we're in need of a power that goes beyond my power. And we'll come face to face with the reality of what happened when we used our power for our own selfish interests rather than putting it to use for the glory of God and the good of others. One concept I, uh, of meekness that I read as I was working on this message stated that meekness is it's an attitude toward others in the light of the truth about myself. So it's seeing myself rightly, not, not in a horribly judgmental way or a shame-filled way, but it's seeing the reality of my need for God, the reality of how I've so often used my power for selfish means and being able to see that rightly and then in that humility and repentance have an attitude of meekness towards those around me. So this is not to say that an attitude of worthlessness or shame is the goal. If our view of ourselves leads us to a place of shame, hopelessness, or self-loathing, we can be sure that we've left the path of blessing that Jesus is pointing us to follow. I'm really thankful for Bob Barbash here at Calvary. He shares a story that touches on this idea of mourning our sin and allowing God to move us toward the character of Christ. Let's watch that video now. Hi, I'm Bob Barbash, and uh, this is my Gritty Blessings 
story. It's about how uh, God walked me through a life of anger and into his blessings. I was a guy who had a foul mouth and I was really negative, often critical of others and could be overbearing. Um, and I'm sure you've often heard the uh, statement, if someone crosses you, you you get even, I'll get even. Well, mine was not that I get even, it was that I get ahead. And I spent time trying to figure out how to do that um, as I went through my early part of my life. So what caused the anger? Well, I was raised in a good uh, middle-class family. We were Christmas and Easter churchgoers. Uh, but in general, was, we're a non-believing family, and, and there was no abuse or discord. In eighth grade, I realized now that I was bullied by two guys, both older than I was, much bigger than I was. Um, I'm not sure why it ever started. Um, it didn't last super long, but it was there. I developed two emotions, both tools of the enemy. One was anger, kind of normal kind of stuff. You would be angry in that situation. And I also developed shame. Those are two, two tools of the enemy that when you put them together can get pretty powerful. Fast forward a couple of years. I'm in college. I met this amazingly gracious, kind, and good-looking young woman. Her name was Pat. And I am absolutely certain that God planned that meeting. We eventually married and had two sons. And it's, it's also worth noting here that my angry behavior has never been directed at my wife, ever. Um, and she comments about that periodically. And when the first little guy was about a year and a half old, my anger and shame brought me to one of the scariest moments in my life. I call it the high chair moment. Um, he was sitting with his mom and dad, Pat and I, in the kitchen. We were eating supper. And well, he wasn't eating his food. He just was not eating supper. And then he started throwing stuff on the floor, and then we'd pick it up and he'd throw it on the floor again and we'd pick it up. And at that moment, I went ballistic. And I screamed and hollered at him and did everything except physically touch him. But I was that close to being an abusive father, both physically and verbally. And when I was in the moment, um, there is no doubt that the only reason I didn't do anything else was God. I realized what was going on and I left. I, I went outside and I walked and I walked and I walked. Um, and I was, I, I was in a mode of repentance for sure, but I didn't know what repentance was and so I didn't realize it. I was also really ashamed of myself. 
and I began to see who I had become. I also now was filled with this guilt on top of the anger and my, at myself and um, the, the shame just was accentuated. I'm still someone who was made in God's image. We all are. And he's always there. He never stops. He never leaves us. Um, he's with us all the time. What we have to do is learn to trust and to, to lean on him. Because um, if we don't, we're just going to go off into the way the world wants you to go. God's desire is self-awareness that leads to repentance and change, to the death of pride and self-aggrandizement, not anxiety or despair. So thankful for Bob having the courage to, to share such an authentic story with us and show us how God is moving him towards a lifestyle patterned after the lifestyle of Christ, a lifestyle of meekness. The other thing that I want to look at with meekness, because it's so often tied to weakness, is the idea of where does the strength of the meek life come from? I mean, obviously we could say God, we could say Jesus, those things are true, but, but what I want to point out is strength in quietness and trust. Let me read to you Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. Here is the posture of a biblically meek life. Repentance, rest, quietness, and trust. In that posture is where we find salvation and strength. I can tell you that when I'm striving in my own power to make my own way, when I'm struggling to make things work out, even if it seems like I'm holding it all together, my life cannot be described with the words quietness and trust. More like busyness and striving. To be still and know that I am God is attainable for those who are able to quietly trust in God and find what they need in him. Otherwise, we're left racing around trying to find everything that we need in our own efforts and in our own power. As we finish up our time together, I wanted to ask you two questions to kind of ponder. I mean, now, but also just as you go about the rest of the service and the worship time, even the rest of the afternoon, I would love for you to just kind of think over these questions as you consider a meek life. Is your power under God's control? Are you using your strength to promote and accomplish the things that you've determined to be important? Or is your power submitted to God and being used in service of him and others? Remember again, meekness is not powerlessness. It's not a lack of strength. It's strength that is submitted to the will of God and being used to glorify him and do good for others. Second question, where can you practice quietness and trust? A good way to determine if your strength is under God's control is by just simply paying attention to times that you're spending in quietness and trust. Is there a rhythm there? 
There won't be much of a rhythm of quietness and trust in your life if you're constantly needing to use your own power to accomplish your goals. If you feel stressed, ragged, run down, burnt out, more than likely, you're not living the meek life because you're living it all under your power being used by your decision-making abilities. And what we need to do is bring that into a place of quietness and trust. And that's where we find our strength married with God's strength, doing the things that God has given us to do. Now, in case you thought we wouldn't touch on it, the second part of blessed are the meek is that they will inherit the earth. It can feel like we won't gain anything in this world that we don't go out and take, right? It's dog eat dog. It's climbing the corporate ladder. It's all those types of things. You, you have to go get what you want. Even if we wouldn't verbalize it this way, it's, it's the attitude that is kind of nested in our hearts, just if for no other reason, based simply on the culture that we live in. However, what Jesus is saying here is not only do we not have to fight for this blessing, we actually inherit it as a gift. And we won't even be inheriting the sin-fallen world that that everybody seems to be fighting of now. You know, the picture that came to mind, I don't know how many of you guys have seen the original Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. I don't even remember the kid's name, but there's this one little girl the whole way through the movie. She's just... You're just watching her and you're like, this is like, what a terrible person. And there's the golden goose scene and this goose is laying the golden egg and she goes into this little song and dance routine of, I want the world, I want the whole world, I want it now. And that mindset, like, you don't even, they don't even realize what they're fighting over is this sin-fallen world. What the meek will inherit is not just the sin-fallen world, but rather the new earth that's been redeemed by God's power. So not only do we not have to fight to gain the world, we can actually rest and trust in God and we will inherit an even greater blessing. And when we live biblically meek lives, our lives will stand in stark contrast to the example of the world in such a way that I believe those around us will have trouble not asking a question of us to which the answer will be Jesus Our lives will be lived in such a different way that as people observe us, watch us, interact with us, as we build relationships with neighbors, coworkers, and they see the way that we live and speak and treat other people, they'll they'll, they'll have to ask the question, what's different? Why do you live this way? Why do you respond this way? How can you be quiet and trusting in a time like this and we'll be able to give the answer of, Jesus, the gospel, the blessed life, the path that he's pointed us down. Let me take a minute and pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for this pathway that you've laid out for us, this pathway to a truly blessed life. Not the blessed life as the world would define it, but the blessed life as you define it. God, give us courage because there's so much about this path that butts up against what would seem to us to be common knowledge, the the understanding of how things work. And Lord, you're just kind of blowing that all up and saying there's a completely different way. Lord, give us the courage to lean into that way. Give us the courage to walk that path. And give us the courage to be a people who desire to live a meek life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.